unfortunately could not make it this morning. Uh, she is sick, as is a lot of people uh, this, this time of year. Um, it seems like everybody we talk to is sick in some way, shape, or form. So uh, she's at home also with our son. And uh, again, they are sorry they, they could not make it. Um, we called Rockville Assembly our home for almost six years. Uh, and uh, we moved on to Christ Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia, and are now moving on to another location in ministry of which we don't know yet, but God is good. Amen. He provides. Amen. And uh, so I hope everybody had a good Christmas. hope you survived that. And now the new year, uh, 2000 and what is it now? 15, right? Uh, time, time just flies as you, as you go on. So, uh, so this morning, what I want to talk about is um, a suggestion of... Uh, how we should live, maybe, or what you should have, maybe, on your list of items to do in the new year. The resolutions. Uh, we can go through the infamous ones, like lose, lose what, 100 pounds, lose 20 pounds, 30 pounds. I don't know, help me out here, get a promotion. I don't know, have a trip somewhere, travel, make, make more money, the lottery. Who wants to win the lottery next year? Hey, praise the Lord, right? Uh, stop doing things. Stop eating Twinkies and cake and all those things that, that you just love so much. Stop, I don't know, whatever. Um, hopefully you have a list. You're working on a list. You may know people who have a list. How many of you have quit lists? You don't do lists anymore. Okay, some, some people just don't do them. But whether or not you do them or you don't, everybody has some things that they want to do and they don't want to do as we come into the new year. Because you kind of wipe the slate clean. Even though you really don't, you kind of do, don't you? At least in your mind you do. You say, this is a great opportunity for me to kind of get a new start, even though you know it's not a new start. But with God, any time could be a new start, right? Today can be a new start. So what I want to look at this morning is a story or two stories in the Old Testament and how I believe that God wants us all, as we go from here on the rest of our lives, to trust and obey Him more. Two very difficult things to do. Trusting people is difficult, isn't it? Obeying is even more difficult, isn't it? Like, don't you get to a certain age where you're like, I, I don't really need to obey anybody anymore. Except for maybe your boss, right? But it's like, who, who do you have to obey once you get to a certain point in time? You pay your bills, right? You are the boss of you. You determine your own curfew, right? Which is part of the reasons why going away to college is so great. Become your own, your own boss for the first time. But you, you just begin to take on this, this place where you become your own, independent. But then you come into a relationship with Jesus and He becomes your boss. He becomes the person now that you have to trust and obey and that becomes a difficult aspect of our lives, to trust and obey. Trusting is difficult, especially when the object or the person that you trust is a person you cannot see. You can't see God. Now, we can get really spiritual and say, well, yes, I saw God, or I, you, you see the impact of God, right? But we're not going to go outside and shake hands with God on the way out of church. You don't see Him. So trusting Him becomes really difficult. And obeying even more difficult because sometimes he asks you to do things that are ridiculous. Has God ever asked you to do something ridiculous? 
He asked you this morning when he said to tithe. Give me part of your money. And I'll help you to manage the rest with excellence. Um, no. I'll keep all of it and I'll manage it the best. What, is that really true? What is more blessed in life? That you tithe or you don't tithe? You tithe, right? So, God asks us at times to do things that are crazy and ridiculous and to anybody else outside of Christianity, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up. My brother is not a believer. So, if I ever talk to him about tithing, he thinks it's dumb. I don't expect him to understand. Because he, he can't. Paul says that only a spiritual person can understand spiritual matters and issues and concerns. So, there are two great stories of trusting and obeying in the Old Testament. One person gets it right, the other person doesn't. Alright, so let's go through these stories and just kind of learn how God takes us on a journey of trusting and obeying. And hopefully, after the journey, we'll understand that God does want us to trust and obey. And in fact, it is better to do so. Alright, now these stories... Um, they're interesting because one involves King Ahaz and the other one involves a close relative of his, Hezekiah, who was his son. So Ahaz comes, obviously, as, as our story in the beginning, and then his son, Hezekiah. And these stories are found in the book of Second Kings. Second Kings. Alright, so if you want to turn to Second Kings 16, we're not going to read all of it. Alright, I'm going to, I'm going to paraphrase it as we go along. We'll highlight some passages. Alright, but you can turn there for the first part of our story. And I want to suggest that this whole idea of trusting and obeying is a three-step process. God will set you up in life for opportunities. Those of you who are, who are uh, in a relationship or you're married, don't you feel sometimes that your spouse will set you up? Like, is this a trick question? Like, you know, how am I supposed to answer this? Moments where you have to get it right, and the consequences of not getting it right. And it's this thing, I, I'm going to suggest to you that God sets us up also in life. Now, God does not tempt us so that we would fall in sin, but He does set us up. Opportunities that we have to show Him that we love and obey Him, and that we trust Him. Opportunities. Opportunities come every single day. Opportunities. So the first part of this process, when we consider trusting and obeying God, is that He sets us up. So let's look at these two stories of these two kings and see how they did. Second Kings 16. Here's the deal, really quick for you, instead of reading it. All right? Ahaz becomes king of Judah. Okay, uh, Israel is divided into Jerusalem and, excuse me, Judah. So Ahaz is king of Judah. All right. Now Ahaz has a problem. It's called war. There are armies that are coming to destroy him. Two armies, and so they surround him and they start to attack him. Now they don't destroy him. They are they 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 aren't able to overtake him, but they get pretty close. Alright, so now he is a king, he's under attack, and he's in panic. Alright, and he doesn't know what to do. Doesn't have a clue what to do. All he knows is that, that there are two armies that are going to obliterate him if he doesn't do anything. 
surrounded and doesn't know what to do. Our second king is Hezekiah in 2 Kings chapter 18 through 19. In the 14th year of the reign of the king of Judah, Hezekiah, he is attacked. Hezekiah, remember, is Ahaz's son. So the enemy king begins to overtake cities along the outskirts of Judah. This is interesting, isn't it? Because the first one is the dad. He comes under attack. He's surrounded two chapters, two and a half chapters before. He's the king of Judah. He's surrounded and he doesn't know what to do. Now, years later, his son is the king of Judah. He's surrounded. He doesn't know what to do. The threat is all around him. So the king begins to conquer these places just outside of Judah. Alright, so like if we were here, you're here and the king, he conquers Germantown or Gaithersburg. You're starting to sweat a little bit. Alright, you're starting to feel it a little bit. So here's what Hezekiah does. Alright, he doesn't know what to do, but he does a bit more than Ahaz before we have the point where he has to trust and obey God. So here's what Hezekiah does. He sends this envoy to the king with a note and it says this. It says, hey, look, whatever I've done wrong, I'm sorry, but I want to pay you to go away. But you wish you could just pay your problems sometime to go away? I want to pay you to go away. So the king says, okay, well, uh, I want you to pay me this much. Alright, so he pays him that much, and he doesn't go away. <laughs> so he lost twice. He lost the money, and the king is still there. Alright, and the reality is, the enemy king is not, is not scared. He's not going to be swayed. He has a bunch of guys. And he can destroy Hezekiah in the blink of an eye and he knows it. Alright, so the king doesn't go away. In fact, the king begins to mock Judah. And he begins to mock Hezekiah. Because he says, Hezekiah, you, you basically tried to bribe your way out of the fact that I'm going to attack you. Your God clearly isn't worth my time. And he's not worth any consideration. He can't rescue you. So, I'll sleep on it and give you time. In the morning, we're going to come and we're going to kill you. Alright, so he doesn't have anything else he can do. Alright, he doesn't know what to do. So the question for us is, have you ever been there? You don't know what to do. Both Hezekiah and Ahaz needed something to happen in their lives like right now. Both of them were great. Great individuals. Great kings. Great warriors. Now brought to a place where they're scared. Has that ever happened to you? You were once confident, once great, once you know, had it all together, once knew who you were, and then something happens, whether immediately or over time, and all of a sudden you don't think anymore you're so great. The dream you once had maybe goes away. The confidence you once had maybe dies away. And you wonder, maybe for a moment, maybe longer, whether or not God really is involved in your life. Does God see? Now, you and I don't reign over a territory or you know, aren't a king, but we have problems in our lives, don't we? Needs in our lives, situations in our lives that are beyond us. And sometimes we don't know what to do. 
whether or not we admit it. Now, these guys, all right, they're, they're kings. They don't have the luxury of going to the people who they rule over and say, what should I do? What kind of king does that? Consults the people who are under him, so to speak. So, who do they consult? Well, if you're a king of Israel, you better consult God. Because evidently it was God who put you in place. So here they are, the kings. They're going to be attacked. They are being attacked. And they're in trouble. Great men who are concerned about what people around them are going to say about them if they don't seem as strong as they always were. And isn't it the same for us? Sometimes, sometimes we are involved in preserving how people see us so much that we are scared by the idea that we don't know what to do at points in our lives. If I don't have the answer, if I don't have the solution, if I don't get out of this, then, then it's going to show that I'm maybe not as strong as what people thought I was, or I'm not the person people thought I was, or it goes on and on and on, doesn't it? All the things that go through your mind. What will everybody think? I'm a king that can't provide an answer. How does that look? I'm a king that can't solve the problem. How does that look? I'm a person who doesn't appear to have it all together. How does that look? So, God sets the kings up for a moment where they're going to have to trust and obey. And you have to see, and I have to see, that in our lives, God sets us up for moments where we have to trust and obey. Sometimes, that is period. See, what we want in life is a comma where there's more. God says, right now, I might not give you more. You trust and obey, and that's it. I'll take care of the rest. All right. Easier to say than do, isn't it? I'm not saying it to you as if I've done it already. All right? I'm in the middle of it. But trust and obey. Okay, So that is how God sets us up. All right? So first is the setup. We realize the consequences of the moment. Whatever moment it is for you. The money is running out. The relationship is almost at its end. The kids are making bad decisions, and we don't see an end. Whatever it is for you, the house payment is behind. Whatever it is for you, you can see the consequences in advance of what's happening. And you're scared because you keep on heading that way. So that's the setup. Now, the good part, here comes God. God offers. God always offers to us. He always makes an offer. So here's the offer that God gives the two kings. Let's go back to him. First one, Ahaz, 2 Kings 16. He's surrounded by two armies, two enemy armies. And here's what happens. This is so cool. God offers help to Ahaz. And the, the, the help that he offers Ahaz is discovered in a portion of Scripture that we often attribute to Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. There is a Scripture in Isaiah, that refers to a child who will be born. And we will call him God with us. Now, when we hear that portion of Scripture, what do you usually, what, what comes to your mind? If somebody were to say about the virgin who would become, you know, with child and be born and Emmanuel, God with us, what time of year does that make you think about? Christmas, right? 
Who is that child? Jesus. That's part of it. But there is a part of this passage that comes before Jesus comes. See, here's what God does for Ahaz. God sends Isaiah, the prophet, to Ahaz. Ahaz is asking for help, and God sends help. Isaiah knocks on the door. Here I am, Ahaz. Heard you were you know, talking to God. Heard you wanted some help. Here's the message that God has for you. God says this to you from Isaiah. He says that there is going to be a woman who is going to bear a child. That child will be my son. And that child is going to grow. But before that child gets to the age where he knows right and wrong, God is going to destroy these two armies that are at your gate. You're not going to have to worry about them. God's going to take care of it. And the sign He gave you is that, I'm going to have a son. So, when you see the son born, get ready. Because God's going to do His thing. You can just imagine Ahaz in the moment, can't you? So, God's not going to, like, blow up anybody. Like today. God doesn't see my need, like, right now. He's not going to do anything right now. I gotta wait for your son to be born and then grow up a little bit and play, and then God's gonna do something. No, no, no. I don't like that idea. Thanks, Isaiah. So, what Ahaz does is he refuses the offer, he rejects the offer. Now, what God doesn't do to us in life is God doesn't have some calamity strike us when we refuse to follow him, does he? Like, he doesn't send the lightning bolt to your house, or a flood, or like a tornado out of nowhere, you know, to sweep you away. Like, he doesn't do that, right? Because we have a choice. Right? He loves us and gives us a choice. But he makes the offer. I want you to see that. He makes the offer. He always makes an offer to his creation. Because he always wants them to come back to him. So he makes the offer to Ahaz. He says, look... Isaiah is going to have a son. And he's going to grow up, but before he reaches a certain age, I'm going to take care of these armies. I'll take care of it. I mean, Scripture says, you, you don't have to worry. What more can God say? Like, hey, let's pinky swear. Like, I mean, what more does God have to say? Like, I mean, God says, God, God is saying, you don't have to worry. What do you think Ahaz did from that point on? Did he worry? Continued to worry. I mean, it's the prophet Isaiah. This isn't the prophet off the street who was like homeless and looking for a place to stay. This wasn't a bum. This was Isaiah. Isaiah, this guy is the man. He hears from God. He comes and says, you don't have to worry. And Ahaz says, I don't like that. I don't like the sound of that. Well, we'll come back to him later. Now, our next king, Hezekiah, 2 Kings 19. God offers to help Hezekiah because God always offers to help us. 2 Kings 19. Hezekiah is surrounded by an army, a large army. Large. I think it's like 200,000 guys, close to that. Alright, so this is a big army. It's a big problem. So, Hezekiah cries out again to help, cries to God, the Lord, because that's who you ask for help, 
And guess who the Lord sends? I'll give you one guess. Isaiah. Isaiah's like, boy, this is a, a problem in the family, isn't it? Like, you think you have a dysfunctional family. These guys are being attacked two times, father and son. And they, they both don't know what to do. So, so Hezekiah has a problem, and here comes Isaiah. Now, I think that Isaiah is hoping that Hezekiah learned from his dad. Sometimes, as a parent, your kids learn the right things to do from you. Other times, they can learn from your mistakes, can't they? Because we're only human. So, hopefully, Isaiah, you, you, you know Isaiah sees the family name over the door as he's approaching the tent or the castle or wherever it is, the city. And he's thinking, oh, not this family again. Hopefully, the son gets it right. So, he comes, and here's Isaiah. Actually, Isaiah gives the message to the king's servants. And the servants return the message to the king. So, this isn't one-on-one. Alright, so Isaiah gives the message uh, to the servants of, of, of King Hezekiah, and he says this. He says, Thus you shall say to your king, Here's what the Lord says, Do not be afraid of the words which you have heard, which the servants of the king of Assyria have blasphemed me. Surely I will send a spirit upon him, that's the king of the enemy army, and he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will cause him to fall by the sword in his own land. Now, if you read different translations, what the sword is, is that he's, he's telling Isaiah that he's going to fall by his own sword. So, he's outside your tent right now with, oh, like 200,000 guys. Pretty soon, he's going to be discouraged. He's going to leave for some reason. And then he's going to go home, and they're going to kill him by his own sword. That's a crazy story, isn't it? That's a crazy story. It's almost as crazy as the one that is given to Ahaz from Isaiah. Hey, Isaiah, I'm going to have a son. Before he gets to the age where he can know right and wrong, God's going to sweep down and kill your enemies. So now Hezekiah says, I really hope the Lord has something. Like that he has like an army in the woods, or he's going to do something right now. And Hezekiah comes out and says, hey, I got great news for you. The king is somehow going to be confused and discouraged and just all of a sudden leave. And go back to his home and get killed by his own sword. These are great stories, aren't they? It's great answers. Like, just, don't you love it? So Hezekiah thinks about this. Isaiah tells Hezekiah, do not worry. Don't worry. Okay, I got 200,000 guys outside my backyard, all with swords, all want to kill me. Something's going to happen to their king, I don't know, and he's just going to walk away. Okay, I'm not worried. you imagine what's going through his head? Kidding me? But, it's the offer. So, like God, like, like everybody, God offers and you decide whether or not you're going to trust and obey. So Hezekiah considers this. Because... He doesn't want to make a spur-of-the-moment decision. So he considers it. Ahaz, he didn't give any consideration. Once he heard the story, he thought it was dumb, and so he, he rejected it right away. I think there's wisdom in allowing time. All right? Some decisions in life, it's not like easy math. 
Goodness in three minutes. Like, it, it takes time. It's not instant. So Hezekiah considers what he's just been told. Because he understands the consequences. Right? This is not just him and his, 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 his livelihood. It, it, it's all of Judah. So he considers it. So, what about us? We talked about, just a few moments ago, issues in our lives or problems or circumstances where you need a solution. Now, if you are not there right now, if your life is great, just hold on and wait. Something will come. Doesn't it always in life? I mean, you're riding the wave, then your surfboard breaks. <laughs> I mean, it's just the life is unpredictable that way. So, if you are not in something right now, if you're not in a problem or a trial or a circumstance right now, then, then I want you to think about when that happens. Because God is going to offer you help. Now, if you're in a circumstance right now or a problem right now, God is going to offer you help. Maybe He already has offered you help. What are we going to do with it? Because I will say sometimes that the help that God offers you if you explain it to somebody else, it's not going to make sense. Sometimes God will, God will tell you to do something that will not make sense. It won't make sense to you. And if you go outside, people who are Christians, it's not going to make sense to them. And the response from you may be, this is too crazy to be God. Ever said that? It's too crazy to be God. This, I can't prove this with Scripture, but sometimes I think the crazier it is, the more God it is. I, I, can't, I can't prove that with Scripture, but it's too crazy to be God. God will offer you help. Perhaps God will give you a sign. Perhaps God will give you a promise. Perhaps God will speak to you. How many of you God has spoken to you about something and you just imagined it away? That wasn't God, that was me. And it happens again. That wasn't God, that was me. Sometimes we, we, we put ourselves in the way of God's offer of help to us. So, these two kings, they're in a moment. Ahaz clearly rejects. Don't want your help. Don't need it. That's too long away. Too far away. My need is right now. What is it for you? My bills need to be paid right now. My marriage problem is today, right now, not three years from now. Now, I'm not saying that God's going to give you an answer that is prolonged or projected in the future. All right? God can help you right now. But sometimes it is a process and a plan. And you have to wait. And sometimes the road is not straight. It's windy, isn't it? All right? Like if you want to get from, you know, here to, I don't know, PA, you're, you're, you're going to go 270 north. It's the straightest way. You wouldn't go over to like Ohio and then Jersey and then New York and then finally down to PA. God, what are you doing? Sometimes God takes you on this crazy road because it's not always about getting at the place you, 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 you have to go. It's about changing you along the way. It's about changing me along the way. You know? We are passengers. And look, my wife, I'm glad she's not here. I can say this. 
I will preface this with this. I'm an excellent driver. Right hand in the Bible. All right. I am. Okay. Um, I have my moments. But, you know, she, she, will, she will offer me these driving clinics. You know? There's a, how many of you there? And, uh, and it's just funny, you know. Uh, and uh, she will say, you know what? Sometimes you should try being a passenger. I'm like, well, if I'm a passenger, then I'm not driving. And that's unacceptable to me. I just, I love to drive. I don't want to be a passenger. I want to drive. Sometimes we are the same way in life. We don't want to be a passenger. We want to drive. God is not about letting us drive. Because what happens when we knock his hand out of the way and take the wheel? <laughs> All right, we're going to find out in a minute what happened to Ahaz. But we are passengers. And sometimes we are watching God drive and we're wondering if he doesn't know where he's going. God, you missed a turn back there. He says, no, everything's fine. Just, I, I'm an excellent driver, God says. The very best. Alright, so, look, we have an offer. God is watching. God is plotting. God wants to rescue you. God wants to help you. He wants to. The problem is, is that we are the ones who make the choice. Will we let God help us? Because God will not just take you and make you do what He wants you to do. <laughs> just do it already. It's not, it's not what God does. God will do things sometimes to wake you up, to shake you, try and get your attention. Hello, you need me, I'm here, my offer. But we have every right to say, nope, not interested in that, nope, don't want it, nope, I'm turning around. Right? But God is always going to arrive at points in our lives offering help. God is plotting to help you. God is plotting all the time. He's plotting for things that you cannot see, that you don't know are coming down the road. That's, that's, that's the great thing about God. He's already been at the end. Alright, so, <clears throat> if God is plotting our rescue, then why don't things always work out? Have you wondered that? Things don't always work out. Like, there's a scripture, Romans 8.28. All things work for the good, for those who love Him and are called according to His purposes. <clears throat> I feel like, have you ever been somewhere, like, you're in a place where you're hurting or something happened to you, and somebody comes up and they're like, remember, all things work for the good, and you just want to slap them? So you're like, maybe you haven't been in my life re recently. There's no good. And you're like, I'm sorry, God, didn't mean to say that about your word, but you just take your nice Christian message and go over there in the corner. Like, I'm not, I'm not having a good day. Like, I don't want to hear that. Like, there is nothing good about this right now. It's not working out anything. It's not working at all. It, it, it's okay to say that. Because God is bigger than you. <laughs> He's bigger than me. He's bigger than your problems. Alright, it's okay to be that way. So, why doesn't it work out? Well, I'm going to offer three reasons why it doesn't work out, but we're only going to talk about the last one. Alright, one, sometimes it doesn't work out because there's evil in the world. There are evil people that do evil things. God plots and plans for the best in our lives, but there are evil people that do evil things. And they can thwart 
that, that purpose and that plan in that moment. Why? Because God has given us free will. If you want to go out and do something evil right now, God could stop you, but He doesn't because you really can't, because He's given you free will to make a choice, to make a decision that's contrary to Him. Does that make sense? So, sometimes, God's offer to help doesn't work out because there's evil in the world. Evil people exist. People can inflict pain and harm upon us. And God has given humanity free will, so He, he has to allow for it to happen. That's probably one of the most... It's probably one of the toughest things for us to accept. That sometimes the offer of help that God gives us to get us out of our situation doesn't work the way that we think it should work. Or, in fact, doesn't work at all. Because they're evil people. Because there is sin. And because some questions that we have will not be answered this side of the grave. I just have to tell you that. And look, you can go to Bible college as much as you want. You can read this as much as you want. Some questions you can't answer. Why do people get sick and die? It's God's will for all to be healed, isn't it? But some aren't healed. Why? I don't know. I don't know. Sin is in the world. The Bible says that the enemy is, is, is the ruler of the world. For now. Doesn't it say that? The Bible also says that sin is pleasurable for a season. Great. So the thing that's our, that's our enemy is, 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 is enjoyable. Sin. For a season at least. The last one is this. <clears throat> Why is it sometimes that God stands by, or it seems that He's standing by idly in my life, not helping me? We just talked about Him offering. But why does it seem sometimes that He doesn't help me? We said there's evil in the world. We said that God has given people free will. Lastly, is that sometimes we make our own choices that, God, that, that, that is not part of God's plan. How many of you have ever given a speech to your kids and you said, look, it's your fault you're here? <laughs> Kelsey's like, yeah, I heard that one. In the sound booth. It's for you too, bro. Yeah, and look, my son, he's not that old, but whether or not he understands, I tell him because sometimes I yell at him, I, I correct him, and he wants to get mad at me. Excuse me. One, I'm the parent here. All right, can't get any men from the parents. All right, one, I'm the parent here. Two, it's your fault that you're here. I'm trying to correct you. This is your fault. And he wants to get mad and stomp off. Well, fine, stomp off. But. When you're ready to come back, maybe I can, we can help you understand this is your fault. <laughs> like, hello, like, you know, I'm not going to go away and be sad. I didn't do anything wrong. This is your fault. <laughs> your decision. All right? Sometimes our own choices put us there. But God does not leave us there. All right? Look, it's your fault. It's your choice. I'm just going to sit here until, you know, I think you've been hurt enough or you suffered the consequences enough. All right? But look, sometimes there are consequences, aren't there? Somebody in prison who repents going to a church service in prison, they're not just going to let them out of prison, are they? No, no they, because there are consequences. So, sometimes we make our own choices. Let's go back to Ahaz. 
Alright, so the, uh, our first point is that God will set us up. The ultimate setup. Ahaz, Hezekiah, surrounded by armies. This is perfect. This is a perfect opportunity for them to say, God, I need your help, and they do. And God offers, and it's another perfect opportunity for them to say, I accept your offer. I mean, duh. This is like a no-brainer. Alright, here's the help. I'm giving you the help. Please take the help. So the offer is extended to Ahaz. Remember? From Isaiah. I'm going to have a son. He's going to grow up. Blah, blah, blah. Before the son gets to be this age, God's going to come and obliterate these armies. So, the choice. Ahaz says, you know what? I don't like that. I want something to be done right now. So Ahaz reaches out to an enemy king. Another king. The armies that attacked Ahaz were from Aram and from Jerusalem. Alright, remember, Israel's divided, so they're not getting along. Alright, so Aram and Jerusalem come against Judah. There's another enemy close by, but Ahaz says, I want to make this person my ally. So I'm going to reach out to him for help. So he reaches out to this king. His name is Tiglath, uh, Pelazer or something, some weird name in Scripture. You find those. So he reaches out to him. He says, I need your help. I need you to come. I need you to, to do whatever you can to defeat these armies. So the king accepts the offer. He comes and he destroys the armies. And maybe it's just that Ahaz was too scared. If he, were, if, he, if he were to turn around to the people, like his council, and say, you know what? I have a plan from God. We're going to wait for like six years. And then God's going to rescue us. Hmm. Think that would have went over well? Ahaz was probably scared that they were going to like dethrone him or kill him or come against him. Because his plan didn't seem to be really, like, believable. Sometimes, sometimes, uh, when you have God at the end of a plan, sometimes people get suspicious. Like, have you ever heard the people who said, God told me to, and then they tell you something, and it's like, that is crazy. Maybe it's not always crazy. Sometimes it is crazy. But maybe not always crazy. So, Ahaz decides to take the matter in his own hands. He contacts this, this pagan king. But it doesn't come without a price. All right? This was a perfect opportunity for Ahaz to trust and obey God. Even though it didn't look like what Ahaz thought it should look like, he could have trusted and obeyed God. But he decides not to do that. I don't want to do that. So, he goes to Damascus, where this king is, all right? and he, he wants to pay homage to him and thank him. So he goes to Damascus. He wants to thank the king for, you know, for, for taking care of the enemies. They're, they're, they're all destroyed now. Problem gone. Ahaz is the man. So while he's in Damascus, he, he, becomes to be, he begins to be drawn by what is in this, 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 this place. He begins to be um, enticed by all the pagan idols and the grandeur of what's going on in this place. It's so beautiful. It's captivating him. And he sees this altar that he thinks would look great in Judah. It's so grand. It's so awesome. And maybe Ahaz is so indebted to the king that he wants to show the king how grateful he is and take part of his culture back to Judah. I don't know. Maybe. But he sees this altar, and, and so right away, he, he, he begins to draw the altar and get all the specs, and he sends 
the drawing back to his priest, Uriah and Judah. He says, I want you to make an altar just like this. We're going to put it in Judah and it's going to remind us about what the king did for us and we're going to worship there. So, boom, they put this pagan altar in Judah. Good or bad? Very bad. Okay? Alright, so Ahaz, you know, he's excited about that. He goes back. He starts to worship at this altar. Then he starts to fool with the temple. And like, he does some things at the temple and takes some things down. And he's like, I like it better this way because I saw it in Damascus and, you know, it'd be really cool. So he starts to do that. Then he decides that he's going to be the one who performs the job of the priest. So he's like, you know what, Uriah? I can do it better. Maybe I learned something in Damascus. You don't offer, you know, you don't do this right. So he gives Uriah the boot. Who's the priest? And he starts to perform all the priestly functions and he gives the sacrifices and he's, he's taking, he, he's taking it all into his hands. He's the man now. He solved the problem himself. He didn't need God, whose answer was like ten years away. I did something about it now. So then he gets captured up in idol worship. Caught. Out of control. Spiraling out of control. So much where he begins to embrace all the gods that the enemy worshipped in, in Damascus. So, then in this moment where he's caught up in this idol worship, he offers his son and has him burnt alive as an offering to the pagan god. All this could have been avoided if he would have trusted and obeyed. I'm not here to tell you that you're going to offer your kids to a pagan god, that you're going to start performing your own rituals at home. I'm not here to tell you that. That's, that. that's not what it is. But can you see the danger in not trusting and obeying God? I'm going to take matters in my own hands. And you may offer a solution to your problem in the moment. But do not be deceived that it will come with a price. It will come with a price. You will learn to believe that you are dependent of yourself. You can be disconnected from God. And you can do just fine. Well, maybe if we're talking about how much money you make and where you live, uh, you'll, you'll thrive, you'll do well. But is that really the most important thing? What's the most important thing? It's your heart. That's who you are. It's your soul. It's the condition of you internally. That's the most important thing. And Ahaz, even though he saves the day, he ruins himself. Ruins himself. So stupid, the decision he made. God would have rescued him. No. He's God, right? Now, we have the blessing of being able to look back. Hindsight's always twenty twenty, And we can say, duh, Ahaz, God would have rescued you. What's wrong with you? But let's not be too quick. We do that too, don't we? Right? But it's okay because we don't have to. Right? And we can learn from our mistakes. Ahaz, he didn't learn. It went to his head. And then he began to think something highly of himself that... He wasn't, and he got enticed, and it was all downhill from there. Not saying that Ahaz couldn't have turned, but the Bible says, unfortunately, about Ahaz that he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And that's the most important thing that, that we need to know. Whatever else he did, it didn't matter because he did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Trust and obey. So let's go back to Hezekiah. Well, I'm sorry, let's go forward to Hezekiah. All right? Ahaz, he had the offer to trust and obey. Didn't do so well. So let's go forward to Hezekiah. He's our last one. All right. So what happens? Well, the king is surrounding Hezekiah. 
Alright, the king is surrounding uh, Judah. Uh, a lot of guys, alright, just, uh, I mean, the, the army is just, it's intimidating. Have you ever been intimidated in life by something? I mean, it, it's intimidated. Uh, and have you ever thought, you know what, I'm just going to go to sleep, and when I wake up, the problem's not going to be there. You, like, you hoped at least, right? Whether it was naive or not, you hoped. So Hezekiah wakes up, opens his curtains, and there's still a bunch of guys there. <laughs> They're still angry, and they still want to kill him. All right, so what's going to happen? All right, so this goes on, and I remember he's, he's wondering, when should I pull the cord here? How long can I hang on? When should I pull the plug on God's plan and do it myself? Ever been there? God promised you something? How long can I wait? I'll give it to the end of the business day. It's like, you know, how long can I go before I need to get involved here? God must be asleep, on break, out to lunch, concerned with somebody else's problems that he forgot about mine. So, Hezekiah, he's holding on, he's holding on, he's holding on. All of a sudden, something crazy ridiculous happens. Because when you live for Christ, you have to get used to the crazy ridiculous. You have to get used to it. You have to get used to unbelievable things happening to you. That, 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 it just don't make sense. Overnight, the Bible says, the enemy is encamped around Judah. And the angel of the Lord comes overnight and kills everyone except for one person, the king. So, Hezekiah goes to bed with a problem, and he thinks he's going to wake up with a problem, and he wakes up, and there are corpses everywhere. Um, and it's like one of those unbelievable moments. You ever had those moments? You're like, where, you know, God does the miraculous. And, uh, and so the king, he wakes up too. How do you think he's feeling? Nobody has come out of Judah. Nobody has gone in. You know why they know? Because they would have killed them. Nobody came, like, from the woods. They had guards posted. I don't know. This was some sort of crazy job. It was the angel of the Lord. Now, it's not too important, but I think it's interesting. Some scholars believe the angel of the Lord, the way it's written here, implies that it was Jesus. I don't know. I think I would have liked to see that. It's like the ultimate like 300 movie, right? It's like, here comes Jesus. and I don't know how long it took him. It's Jesus. Maybe he did it in 10 minutes. Maybe, I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Overnight, he killed everyone, the angel of the Lord. Gone. Obliterated. The king wakes up. He packs his stuff as quick as he can and he leaves. Wouldn't you? All my guys are dead. Uh, And he goes home to his country. And his sons kill him by his own sword. It's just as God said it would be. Just as God said it would be. Now the difference is this. We don't know how long of a time frame it was between when Hezekiah asked God and when God did act on his behalf. 
We don't know how long that was. We don't know. I haven't researched it enough. Maybe it's in there. I don't know. We do know that it would be years between the offer given at Ahaz and the solution. So maybe we we shouldn't be too quick to jump on Ahaz's back for not trusting God. No, we should be quick to jump on his back. You always trust God. What is the other solution? Can you imagine Hezekiah trying to solve the problem himself? How would he do that? Send waves of, of, of troops out just to be killed? They surrounded Judah. He was going to starve to death. Because that's what they did. They cut off all your supplies. So we're just going to sit here and starve to death. God takes care of it. Interestingly enough, this king who was assassinated, he was assassinated while he was worshipping in the temple to his own God. They came in and got him during church service. Messed up, isn't it? It's alright, it was a false god. Okay. Killed him. And his son, who helped to kill him, took over his throne. Interesting stories. Not fake stories, right? They're historical. But interesting. Trusting and obeying God. It's not an easy thing to do. Because sometimes we already know how we think the problem should be solved. And God offers His solution, the better solution, and and that is difficult for us to swallow. And maybe you think like it's not even a solution at all. And isn't it sometimes that when you're on the journey to the solution, things seem to get worse? My wife and I are on a journey to a solution, hopefully. With God, isn't there always a solution? But sometimes... So at some points along our way, the problems seem to be getting worse. And it seemed to be like, God, you're driving us in the wrong direction. Lose your job, lose your house. Does that seem like you're headed towards a solution? But you have to remember who the driver is. Who's the driver? That'll be God. If it's you, you need to pull over right away. Do the old swap. Chinese fire drill. And God needs to end up in the driver's seat, like right away. And he may keep on driving in the same direction, and you may say, God, we're going the same way I was going. But don't be fooled, you're not going to end up at the same place. Your wisdom is limited. Our sight is limited. Our solutions aren't God's. Ahaz's problem was that he solved the problem. And in solving the problem, he started to believe that he was somebody. Alright, now we are the beloved of God, His creation. Alright, I'm not telling us to think any less than that. But do not think that you can be the master and commander of your own life. And arrive at where God wants you to. You cannot do that. You can't. Because our agenda and God's agenda is going to always kind of have this little bit of bumping into one another. Because, because of sin. So... So God sets us up. God offers, and God gives us a choice. So the question is this. Will we trust and obey no matter what it looks like? That's the question. And 
I'm not going to say like everybody who wants to do that today, like raise your hand. I want, I want us to think about it. It's difficult. You may lose people along the way who disagree with what you're doing. It may cost you something. Your life may begin to look differently. You may have to give something up. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I, only God knows your plan for your life. I don't know. I know, I, I can tell you this. If I, re- if I rewound the, 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 the clock in my life two years, I would not have ever imagined that I would be right where I am today. And I don't say that with like a cheery smile on my face. Because you don't always have a cheery smile on your face, do you? Sometimes it stinks. Life. Sometimes it hurts. But do not believe that because it stinks and hurts, that somehow you are not on God's path for your life. What, what was Jesus to think? He was in the garden and he prayed for a way out. Did God give him a way out? No. God told him the way is, is the cross. That's almost like a, it's almost like an oxymoron. <laughs> the right way is the cross. The worst way. I don't pray for any of us the worst way. But what I will not tell you is that the way is always paved with gold. Health, wealth, and prosperity. Well, wealth and prosperity are the same thing. So, health and wealth. No, I'm not going to tell you that because it's just not how it is. It's just not how it is. If that was the case, then the Apostle Paul was in a lot of trouble. Because he was bankrupt, shipwrecked, and homeless most of his ministry. Where was his three-piece suit, pocket square, and house in the Bahamas? Right? <laughs> the Apostle Paul, right? Sure that God watched out for him? God did watch out for him. How did his life end? How did he die? He was beheaded. Glorious, though, in the sight of God. Glorious. Our lives are for the purpose of being spent on the glory of God. And that's tough. My life earns its purpose when other people can come closer to God as they look at me. But that comes at my expense sometimes. Remember the blind man in the book of John? He's born blind. Jesus and the disciples approach him, and the disciples immediately ask Jesus, Teacher, what happened to this man? Uh, Did he sin or did his parents? Because he was blind. And Jesus says, Neither. He was born blind for my glory. I don't know how old that person was, the blind man. But if I was anywhere, like in the vicinity, and I could hear Jesus say that I was born blind, I was born blind for his glory. I probably would have took a poke at Jesus. I probably would have swung at him. I know it doesn't sound very spiritual, but wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Let's say you're like 20 years old. Okay? 20 years is a long time. Alright? Well, not really. Well, if you're 20, it is. But if you're older, and older than that, it, it's not. I'm trying to say that without getting in trouble here. Alright? But <clears throat> let's say he's 20. So he's been blind 20 years of his life. 
And Jesus reveals to him in this moment, you, my friend, were born blind for this moment. So that I could heal you and everyone around me see that I am who I am. Is that... Not fair. Is that fair? Like, Jesus, hello? Now, of course, the man got his sight back. Alright? He was healed. And that's great. But, like, what about the fact that I've been blind this entire time just for you? I think it's difficult because it reveals the overarching principle. That this trusting and obeying and doing no matter what is all because our lives are on display for His glory. The Bible puts it a different way. We are trophies that, that God puts in His display case. And everybody always stops and looks at the trophies, don't you? <clears throat> That's difficult, but true. Tough, but true. It is the truth. So my prayer for all of us is that we trust and obey in the new year. And I guarantee you that the year may look different than any other year you've ever experienced. But if you trust and obey, it will be the greatest year you've ever experienced. Maybe not financially, maybe not in other ways, but those aren't the most important. For you, your person, you will grow to become more like Christ. And others around you will be more attracted to Jesus because you are trusting and obeying. It seems ridiculous, but it is working. It is working. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for your word. Such uh, wisdom to be found.